Welcome to Engage Your World. Once again, we're back talking about the gospel as it is presented by the first century church. This week, we'll be discussing the book of Acts in chapter 8. Matt? Yeah, glad to be back on here. Uh, Unfortunate uh, that uh, this is coming to you guys who've been following closely uh, when it is. We actually had a few episodes recorded to come out right at the beginning of the year, but had uh, an error and some problems in the sound on my side and uh, we had some big events so we're circling back around re-recording those episodes and you guys should be uh, pretty consistently updated from here on out as we continue in the series looking at all of the evangelistic encounters in the book of acts and so uh, today we're going to look at the interaction with uh, simon the magician and it's going to be a pretty interesting discussion i think Thanks for uh, jumping back on here with me, Ibrahim. Certainly. All right, so for those who are uh, familiar with this passage, you already know, but uh, we'll just kind of give a quick summary uh, for those that aren't. We are in Acts uh, chapter 8. This section starts specifically in verse 4 at the beginning of the chapter. We hear about Paul, uh, Saul, ravaging the church, and, uh, and then we have this switch to uh, this interaction with Philip, who's proclaiming Christ in Samaria. And so as he's going uh, throughout Samaria and proclaiming uh, to them that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the crowds were really gathering. uh, And he was uh, performing these signs and wonders, uh, including unclean spirits that it talks about in verse 7. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Now this ends up being important to set up the context. Uh, you know, we talk about in uh, our gospel acronym, G, gauge your audience, and, uh, and, and then go on from there. And so here the audience is this group of Samaritans, uh, initially, who Philip is reaching out to, Uh, through the power of the Spirit, is performing these signs that are giving affirmation to the message that he's sharing. Now, one of the people who begins to see uh, what Philip is doing and hear what he's teaching is this Simon the Magician. So then Simon comes on the scene here, and the significance is that Simon himself had done certain types of signs and kind of had captivated the Samaritans in this area. And so I'll, I'll read a little bit here, uh, starting in verse 9, uh, just to give us some clear context, and then Ibrahim, let's dive into the discussion on it. But starting in verse 9, it says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So let's have a little bit of discussion here, Ibrahim, before we go on to the rest of the chapter. So we have this audience of these Samaritans. We have this Simon in particular, who was a magician, who had actually performed uh, seeming miracles or or miraculous signs, had performed magic uh, that had wowed the people, and he saw himself as someone great. 
And yet when this true power of God comes along, it seemingly uh, so far outstrips his own power that even he is convinced to believe, and the people see a distinction as well. And this power that's exhibited, that's beyond the power he seemed to have, uh, is a big part of why they respond. It gives that affirmation to the message of the gospel. Uh, so we have this, uh, that that's the G, and then, then the offer common ground, you could say in this instance, is actually those miraculous signs. In some ways and times, the signs... Uh, or the signs were consistently used to give affirmation or attestation to the people delivering the message of the gospel, the message of Christ. But here it maybe takes on even a greater significance because of this contrast to the magic, the signs, whatever it was that Simon the magician had been doing. Yes, at least there's a contrast in the text. Simon's magic and his signs, and then the Spirit's signs orchestrated through the apostles or the apostles doing certain things orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and we don't have recorded here exactly how, uh, how Philip was sharing the gospel, what specifically he was saying, uh, but we do know that he was attesting to uh, Jesus being the Christ, and we know from some other portions of the text, it's not that that concept would have been unfamiliar to the Samaritans. So that's something to keep in mind as we maybe a little another layer of that gauge your audience. Uh, I believe the Samaritans would have had an understanding of this Messiah type figure. They may have had some different expectations or thought he would accomplish different things. Uh, but uh, helpful to know, be aware that they had had uh, that concept at least in mind. And so when they see this great power that Philip is, is doing, and, you know, maybe one of the contrasts uh, that, that is, uh, provides that shift, um, and, and he's providing evidence, obviously, the signs are evidence, but the shift to Christianity, the gospel, uh, and explain the gospel, perhaps one of the other contrasts coming into play in this, this, this interaction is that while Simon was making himself great, Philip was making Jesus great. You know, that focus was not on Philip's power, but on Jesus and the power he received through Jesus. Uh, so that might be a really interesting and helpful context to have a little discussion on. Also, the fact that this was a trade route, it was common for people to pass by and see any assortment of individuals. The fact that it was along the Mediterranean Sea, and it was not far from Jerusalem and Shechem and various places like that. Uh, even uh, Mount Carmel wasn't far from there. So there were a mixture of pagans or non-Jewish people or different religious groups, people in the supermarkets, you know, selling produce. It was an agricultural land as well. So any number of people could have been involved, and yes, you would have uh, some familiarity with Judaism given the fact that it was a major place for commerce. Yeah, and the, I mean, obviously there's that tie of the, the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, 
it was uh, not the healthiest of relationships. And we have some really interesting interactions with Jesus and the Samaritans, uh, specifically the Samaritan woman. That's, you know, the woman at the well. That's going to be something that, that many people know. And uh, as we've discussed, uh, perhaps even in past episodes of the podcast, uh, um, but we will when we look at some of Jesus's interactions in our in, a, in our next series, uh, which will be uh, probably much later this year uh, in 2023. But uh, when you look at some of the interactions Jesus had, he specifically with his disciples went not the standard way that uh, at the Jews at that time would have traveled. Um, many of them would have went across the Jordan River twice to avoid going through Samaria. And yet Jesus very intentionally goes through. And then following that pattern, we have uh, here Philip now going and ministering uh, to the Samaritans. And so, uh, you know, very very uh, significant, uh, the efforts being put in to, to reach them. Uh, and then Philip goes and preaches the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, but as I think more about that, the emphasis that, he, that, that Philip is putting on Jesus being great, even though Philip's being given the power to perform the signs, and Simon making himself great, it goes back to a principle we talk about so often when we do our training live, which is we really need to be pointing people to Jesus. It's not about us versus them. It's about them and their consideration of Jesus. And though it's subtle difference, it can be such a significant difference because a lot of the resistance that I've seen we get, and Ibrahim, you're free to jump in here in a minute and share any experiences you've had or or that you've heard about, but when what i see and what i think is going on when there are these conflicts that non-christians will have with christians who are trying to share part of what's behind that is often that it's perceived and that's an important word perceived it may not be that the christian is actually doing this on purpose but it can be perceived as us as christians saying we're right and the other person is wrong or we're better and so they need to listen to us. Or we're smarter, and so they need to listen to us. But the reality of it is we should be doing what exact, exactly what Philip's doing here, which is whatever gifts, skills, abilities we have, we should be using those to point people to Jesus. And it's Jesus in the end that they have to believe or disbelieve. It's Jesus they have to agree with. It's not us. But when you when you think of it that way and when you when you begin to uh, guide your conversations pointing away from yourself and to Christ, when it's not about your story and then they get Jesus if they believe you and your story, or it's about your argument and then they get Jesus if they believe your argument. But if you use those things, stories and arguments, good, good, I don't mean getting angry arguments, but good logical arguments, uh, let's say for the historicity of the resurrection or something along those lines. Um, when we use those things, when we use the Bible and talk about what happens in the Bible, which a lot of people are unfamiliar with, when we do all of that, but it's in a way where we're pointing people to, to Jesus in the end, to, to the Christ, the one in whom they have to trust. They don't have to trust me. They have to trust Jesus. And so that's just such a crucial distinction to make. So, yeah, I think it's important to notice there in the text that Simon was really focused on his personal status as he talked about the fact that he was great. 
interestingly, in Christ's ministry, he would often say, the least will be the greatest, and so forth. So there's a contrast there as well. Jesus was never really concerned as much as showing that he was the greatest, because he already knew he was. <laughs> so there's a different contrast. That's that's pretty much what I saw in that text there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that is an interesting point. Obviously, Jesus is showing his authority in a lot of what he does, but he's he's not taunting he's not bragging uh he's not he's not uh doing that in some overhand uh you know very strong way but instead it is sort of showing and letting the people put the put the pieces together kind of connect the pieces together uh one one story that i'm reminded of and and we do share this often when we do a live training in a church but illustrates this contrast that i was talking about of of us versus the other person compared to them versus Jesus. And, and so I was talking with a gentleman, uh, who was a, a beekeeper near a house that we rented, uh, for a season. And he had a Christian background and said, uh, was asking me about what I did for work. And so I was trying to explain engage 360 and, and what we did trying to help people to share their, com- their faith in everyday conversations and that, uh, you know, if we think Christianity is true, which we do, then it's important to be able to share it. But we have to do so in a way that's going to connect with others. We have to take into account who they are and, and then share the hope uh, of Christ and share the truth of Christianity with them. So he said in response, he goes, oh, I see. Okay, so you're one of those kinds of Christians. He said, I, I used to be just like that. I, I used to be just like you. I, I know I know where you're coming from because I used to be just like you. Uh, but now I know better. Now I know that everyone goes to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe. Uh, it's just, uh, but I used to be narrow-minded like that, but now I know better. So in response to his essentially accusation that I'm just a very narrow-minded person who thinks I know better than everyone, I said, well, so how how is it that you came to determine or came to know that everyone would go to heaven and it doesn't matter what anybody believes that just everyone goes to heaven and he said well it's just too narrow to think otherwise i used to look i used to be like you i know what it's like to think that but now i know better Uh, it's just too narrow to think otherwise so i asked him again i said well but what was the basis on which you came to know for sure that everyone would go to heaven and that it's narrow to think otherwise. What what was like the evidence or what was the source? And he just repeated the same thing. Well, I it's just too narrow to think that not everyone would. And so I said, well, maybe the difference between you and me is not that I'm narrow-minded and you're open-minded, but I would say I have no idea how to know what happens after we die on my own. Like, I, I don't know, but... I believe Jesus has demonstrated himself to be the authority who would know. And because of that, I trust what he says about those things. And so in the end, it's Jesus that's right, not me. And so I think the difference is that I am willing to say, I don't know, but here's why I trust Jesus. And it sounds like you're saying that on your own, you've determined the fate of all of humanity. And I just let it sit. And he was a little bit upset because he realized 
he had he had seen himself as this very open-minded person when in reality he was even more narrow than I was as a Christian, far more, because he was basing everyone's eternal destiny on his own personal opinion and his own personal feelings. Uh, so not saying if he would have had evidence, it would have made it true. I don't want to be misunderstood. But you can see this contrast, but it, I think that all ties back to the same concept of when people think we're making it that we're better than them, that we know better than them, that we're smarter, that we're more moral, that we're superior in some way, it creates this conflict that doesn't need to exist because what we really need to be doing is locking arms with them and saying, look, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't know. I'm not good enough. I can't earn it. I can't. I don't deserve it. Um, but here's the one who does know. Here's the one who can earn it. Here's the one who would be able to uh, show us the way. And here's what he said. And so I think you should seriously consider believing what he says. And uh, it's very powerful when you share in that way because it takes away that conflict to a significant degree. Some commentaries mention Simon to some was considered either like a deity or as a representative of the great deity of the area, you know, in Samaria. So he had a large following and a large amount of influence. So this was a major undertaking for him to hear the gospel. Whether he fully converted at the time, you know, in terms of his behavior is left open to discussion. But this was certainly a major turning point, I would say, for the text to mention that he believed. Right, yeah. I, I, you know, it reminds me of so many things in the Bible where God showed his power over some local gods or some local, uh, you know, intercessors. You think of whether it's uh, um, even thinking of Moses and the deliverance from Egypt uh, and the way God displayed his power or um, with the prophets of Baal uh, when God showed his power or... Uh, other times even in the New Testament where what's being shown, and, in, and even in the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the earthly ministry of Jesus and his miracles, he's showing his power and authority over things like uh, wind, water, uh, demons, sickness, disease, death. Uh, and so that's a, a very significant concept throughout the Bible um, that's picked up on. But uh, Ibrahim, you bring up a helpful point here on this transition as we kind of wrap up this passage. So while while he does uh, believe, he believes something, there's still some confusion because as we read on in this chapter, uh, when it go, comes to talking about uh, receiving the Holy Spirit and Simon um, saw that the Holy Spirit was being given through the laying of the apostles on of the apostles hands he offers them money so this is in uh, verse 18 here of chapter 8 um, and he says give me this power also so that anyone i whom i lay my hands may receive the holy spirit now i i don't know that we can say from the text on its own whether he meant this in a good way as far as he was intending to do good with it or it's going back kind of into his old ways of wanting to show that he has the most power. 
or he has equal power. But either way, whatever's going on, Peter rebukes him. And uh, in verse 20 says, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So interesting here, you know, Simon, whether, again, whether it's that he's holding on to his old ways or whether he was just confused, um, he, he certainly uh, gets in, <laughs> enticed by, for one way or another by this potential power he can have. Uh, so uh, very helpful contrast there uh, to talk about Ibrahim as far as, you know, this confusion that might have been lingering uh, in his conversion process. Yes, it could be the case that he is, if you will, backsliding or still influenced by this need to uh, exercise certain power. Of course, laying on of hands and the Holy Spirit being dispensed, if you will, would be a sort of power that would be I guess, attractive to Simon. It nonetheless does not mean he wasn't believing. Uh, We don't have a clear indication of saving faith, but we do have an indication he was baptized. But you can be baptized and not believe. (laughs) So uh, I think we leave the conclusion with regard to justification on this soul. We leave that up to God because we don't always know the results. And so that's also helpful when you're witnessing to someone, you don't always know the results. And you may uh, have a great conversation with someone, and then later on they hear the gospel again from someone else, and you know they make a confession of faith, or they may make a confession of faith while you're with them, and then it sort of passes by, you know, falls on dry ground, if you will. But uh, leave that issue aside and just trust that you were faithful in sharing and testifying, as Philip was in this message here. I'm sure there was much opposition. I'm sure he was familiar with the environment where he found himself, but he nonetheless proclaimed Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So that was important. Well, and there could be a whole element of spiritual warfare going on here too, where if he had been doing uh, seemingly miraculous signs through the power of some sort of more demonic force, then you know, perhaps there's still uh, uh, a mental spiritual warfare going on, you know, where he's struggling to break free of that. It could could be a number of things. So I don't think the big takeaway is is us being able to decide whether he's in or out, like you said very well there. You know, leave that to God, right? It's that God judges the hearts of men through Christ Jesus on the day of judgment, not us, thankfully. Uh, however, maybe the bigger takeaway for us is, though perhaps it's not, wanting this power, uh, perhaps it's the risk that any of the gifts can afford where we have to be very careful that it, it not become about the gift, but that the gift is used to magnify Jesus. And whether that's teaching or evangelism or signs and wonders like the apostles and, and the first uh, Christians were performing here, uh, like what Philip was performing, uh, the risk is that it becomes about the gift rather than the gift being used to magnify Christ. And I think that's a takeaway we can all uh, be aware of. Whether we, whatever our view on the gifts today are, um, the, the more the sign gifts, 
I think we can have an audience that might be on a broad spectrum of that issue and still be able to say, whatever your particular position on those particular sign gifts, there are a broad range of gifts and the same risk can come with any of them, even teaching. And, and it can't become about you being great. You need to use whatever gifts, abilities, backgrounds, training God has given you to make Jesus great. And that's probably a helpful takeaway. Any final comments? The gift should promote the gift giver. Well said. So the final part, we have leave with a clear next step. The clear next step was Simon was baptized. So there was at least some, some invitation and some action following up, you know, the baptism. Yeah. And when he strayed, seemingly, they, there was a correction and a, here, here's the path you need to take. Yep. So then he follows Philip around and uh, gets a chance to witness him as he's doing the ministry of Christ. So it's encouraging to see that he at least continued with Philip. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's a good, a good thing to leave on. It's not about the gift, but about the gift giver. And uh, so with that, we'll wrap up. Uh, thanks for jumping back on here with me, Ibrahim. Looking forward to getting uh, in a place where I have a more of a standard, normal studio uh, to record from, uh, which should be happening here. And so hopefully going forward, we stay consistent and are able to get these to you guys on a regular basis. But I'm really enjoying this series and look forward to more episodes in the weeks ahead. And for the listening audience, thanks again for tuning in. We appreciate your listenership and look forward to being back with you next time. Take care, and thanks for listening to Engage Your World.